Welcome to the Grow People podcast with Pastor Jason, lead pastor of Revolution Church. That would be me. That's him. My name's David Stein. I'm the campus pastor at our Canton location. We have two locations of Revolution Church here, in the, United, location. here in the United States, uh, Jasper, Georgia, Canton, Georgia. We're, of course, online at our online campus and in Kenya. Yep. In Kenya. Locations. Worldwide. In Kenya. Purpose of the Grow People podcast is to grow, grow people. people. Over the past year, we have discussed things uh, we would normally not talk about in sermons, uh, expanding on some things mm-hmm. from sermons, but taking some topics that would be better off in a long form uh, rather than just tweeting out something. And those topics are including, not not limited to, uh, things like abortion, LGBTQ, and today will be no exception. Uh, We are going to talk about, wait for it, (laughs) politics. Mm, Mm. The third rail. Nothing nothing controversial about that. Uh, But before you get your keyboards fired up, uh, hang on, hang on. We're coming to you as your pastors, Mm -hmm. coming to you as shepherds, uh, hearts of shepherds, uh, to answer some of the tough questions yep. that, that people have. Uh, for example, uh, how does a Christian approach politics? Mm-hmm. I mean, that blanket statement. Uh, what do I do if I can't vote for either candidate? Um, how do you stay out of the fray and yet do what you're called to do as, as a civil servant? Yeah. Uh, what do you do with people who vote differently than you? And Really, we want to get into the question of what is Christian nationalism? Because as you have said many times, sometimes words are co-opt mm-hmm. and they become something they were not intended to be. Yep. Uh, but let's, let's start, let's get right into it and talk about the Christian and politics. Yeah, I would just like to acknowledge, I think last week we had like 20 minutes of like laughter and, and fun. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not, not today. Not today. <laughs> and this week we're like, we're going right in. Yeah. And partly the reason is because we do have the midterm elections coming yep. up. Yeah. In and case you didn't know. Yeah. In case you were unaware. So, you know, by the time this drops, it will be within the week. Mm-hmm. And it's been and so civil. So, so civil. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, all these guys really like each other. Yeah. Everybody's been so great yeah. and so nice. Um, so there's really not much to say, you know, (laughs) no. And and like you said, I mean, you know, again, in sermons, you know, we typically, typically preach through books of the Bible and we will address things that come up in that, um, at times. Um, and so I feel like in some ways when it comes to sermon, I talk about politics all the time Mm -hmm. because I'm always making, not always, but I will make reference to Mm -hmm. things. And especially the last three years. Exactly. Just in the, and, and then especially like when we preach the book of Micah as mm-hmm. well, there's a lot to be said there. But yeah, the intention of the, the podcast is to give us another opportunity to have these kind of discussions where um, we can sit and talk about it and have a, a conversation. Yeah. Beyond a tweet or a post. Uh, so people can hear us, hear mm-hmm. us. And, and not and not be misunderstood. And not be misunderstood. And so I'm so glad you opened it up that way is because that was really like when we were talking about doing this episode, uh, I said, you know, we were like, hey, what are we going to talk about? And and we we're talking about the sermon, uh, you know, out of John 16. And I said, yeah, but I also kind of have this like wild hair. And uh, 
when I said wild hair, you immediately like perked up. You're <laughs> like, wild hair, what is that? Yeah. And uh and so as we talked about it, um both of us felt like, yeah, we should we should discuss this because um we are pastors. Well, first and foremost, we're followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so we have to wrestle these things yes. uh, as just followers ourselves. And then we are leaders of people who follow Jesus in the church. And so we feel a certain responsibility to help people in our church. And we've had a lot, I mean, like you mentioned, copious amounts of conversations over the last three years uh, about political things, mm-hmm. um, just given the the nature of the the political discourse and, you know, civil issues that have, have taken place. And so, yeah, so, so back to your question, uh, the original kind of setup for this is Christianity and politics. Um, and, and talking about this, something that we discussed, and we've had this conversation a lot, is I, I think there are, you know, I use the analogy and I didn't come up with it, but I say it a lot, on either side of the road is a ditch. Um, and so therefore, for every mile of truth, there's two miles of lies, you know, and I think you can apply that. Uh, I'm, I'm laughing because I, I will hear people try to explain that and they'd be like, okay, on the road's a ditch. Yeah. No, 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 no on either side yeah. of the road. <laughs> I'm in a ditch and, and you're on the road. What? Um, yes, you are in a ditch. That's what we're trying to say. Uh, yes. On either side of the road is a ditch, yeah. which means there's multiple ways to be wrong. Mm-hmm. I can go which ironically speaking, politically right and left, Mm -hmm. you know, you can veer off too far. And, and so when it comes to politics, uh, I do think there is um, a a way to over identify our Christianity with politics. And what I mean by that is almost have what some people would call an over-realized eschatology where, where we think about the world um, in either kind of these either or terms of like this world is all there is. And so that's all that matters. Like there's no world to come mm-hmm. or go into the other ditch of no, this world is going to fall away and you know, this earth is going to burn up and we're going to get a new one. So I don't care about what happens in this world at all. I'm just waiting for the new one. That I've, I've never heard that term over-realized eschatology. That's excellent. And mm. that, that would explain many of the people that I know, even in my own family. Exactly. Yes. Okay. And yeah. And so, and I didn't come up with that term, but yeah, that's, and, and the term eschatology is just the study of end times, you know? And so an over-realized eschatology is whatever I think about the end times mm-hmm. affects how I live now. Right. You know? And so I think the temptation for a lot of Christians is one of those two ditches is we over identify our Christianity with political things, the, with our, with our political discourse, our political parties. And so you can almost marry Christianity with a political party. Mm -hmm. Um, that would be one ditch or you go the other way and you just completely are out of it altogether. Mm -hmm. You don't have, um, any political engagement. You don't have any civic engagement, you know, more kind of like the true pacifist, you know, mentality to where people don't even vote at all. You know, and again, I think both of those are wrong uh, or, or ditches we need to avoid, mm-hmm. I guess is a better way of saying it. So, um, and particularly when it comes to Christianity um, and in America, you know, the, kind of the junk drawer term that describes most 
people today as evangelical, which came out of the fifties and sixties. Billy Graham was instrumental in, in kind of leading that. And, and so even on the news shows, they talk about evangelicals all the time and and they look at evangelicals as a voting block, like a group of people and, you know, different political leaders try to cater to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been movements within the last, you know, 60, 70 years of evangelicalism that have over-identified with a party, you know, that, um, that have almost tried to marry um, the, the state and the church, again, if you will. And so I do think that, um, and ironically, it was particularly Baptist, but Christians in the founding of our country, and we've talked about this before, that articulated the separation of church and state. Um, and I've heard it said before, you know, whenever you try to marry the church and the state, the church loses, you know? So as, as um, Orthodox believers, I do believe in the separation of church and state. And as I've said before, not so much to keep the church out of the state, yeah. but to keep the state out mm-hmm. of the church, which is what our constitution says in the first amendment. Congress will make no laws regarding, you know, freedom of religion and, and assembly and press and speech. And um, so therefore I think if we, on one ditch, if we over-realize our eschatology and, and almost say, if you're a Christian, you have to vote for this party, mm-hmm. you know, um, to where we over-identify with a party instead of looking at, well, how would, how should I be biblically informed about policies? So I, I think it, we have to be careful that we don't, don't identif- over-identify with parties and we just, and instead of sticking to biblical policies or biblical principles that inform policies right. that we would love to see. So that's the danger on that side. But then the danger on the other side is we disengage completely. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we have no civic engagement. And, you know, just imagine how bad it would be if you took Christians out of everything. Mm. You know, I mean, we are called to be salt and light. We are called to be um, people in our communities that are um, seeking the welfare. You know, and I think that's one thing in a general sense. I think the best way to think about how Christians engage with politics is Jeremiah 29, seven, which we've taught through this before, which ironically, you know, I make fun of, not make fun of, I shouldn't say that, but Jeremiah 29, 11 is a verse that people quote often. Um, Put on coffee mugs. Yeah. I've joked about that, which it's a great verse. Um, you know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. But what people don't know is that was written to a group of people, to the Jewish people that were in exile. Mm-hmm. And he told them that on the front end. So they were about to have 70 years of real hardship, yep. of real pain. So the reason why I mess with people not quoting that verse, they they don't realize what they're saying when they say it. Yeah. You know, like they just use it as a rubber stamp of, like we like, oh, I got a prophetic vision, and it's always good. You know what I mean? Like God's gonna expand your life and all this kind of stuff. Which again, I'm not saying God doesn't want to bless us. He does. It just doesn't always look like what we think. Right. But ironically, if you go right before that verse in the in the preceding verses of chapter 29, 
Jeremiah is speaking to the exiles, and he's telling them, really the Lord is telling them what he wants them to do while they're in exile. So they're in a foreign place, not their home, not their destination, their future destination. Um, And that has been interpreted, even though that was written for a specific group of people at a specific time in history, most New Testament scholars or or believe Christians would read that and kind of interpret that metaphorically to our situation. Like we as Christians are exiles. Earth is not our home. Again, that was the whole over-realized eschatology. Earth is not our home. Um, this is not what we, in, like we don't envision some utopia on earth. Right. Um, we do envision a new heaven, a new earth coming down, you know, at the return of Christ. So what do we do until then? Um, and so if you're going to seek the welfare of the city into which I sent you, that almost gives you your marching orders. That's the middle of the road is what we're saying. That's Jeremiah 29, seven, 29, seven, seek the welfare yes. of the city to which you were sent. Yeah. Seek the welfare of the city to which you were sent. Exactly. And that's right. why, that's why we're in Jasper. That was the yes. entire multiply campaign Yep. to go to a different city yep. and seek the welfare because we had so many people coming down to Canton from Jasper, from mm-hmm. LJ. If we're going to seek the welfare of those cities, we got to be there. Exactly. We're, we need to be sent to them. Yes. And the reason why I think it's important to let that viewpoint frame this discussion on how, how do Christians engage in politics is one of the things that it frustrates me with Christians is we put, again, from an over-realized things, we put so much um, on the vote process and not enough on the serving not enough on the seeking the welfare of our city. Mm-hmm. So, and we'll talk about voting in a mm-hmm. second. Um, but I think as a, as a Christian person, as a follower of Jesus, who is trying to bring heaven to earth, that is again, that new heaven, new earth, the kingdom of God has broken in. Then what we are called to do is seek the welfare of our cities. So it's interesting, you know, when we, let's just say government programs, you know, ironically, welfare being one of them. Um, what we believe as believers is the government shouldn't have to do that because the church is doing it. Uh, the government shouldn't have to be the one that is doing what is called restorative justice. You know, again, from a separation of church and state, Romans 13, other places in the text are clear that God has given the state the power of the sword, uh, which that is retributive justice. That is, that is payment. That is, um, that is doing justice, um, to people who break laws. The God has given, God has ordained the state. Mm -hmm. Again, the state should not be anti-church and the church should not be anti-state. Um, and by state we're meaning nations. Um, God has, I mean, the Bible's clear on that. He's the one that ordained nations and appoints their leaders and the rise and fall of those nations. Um, he's the one that determines those things. So the nation state has a role to play in God's plan, and that is for retributive justice. That is uh, doing retribution. That is creating laws and enforcing laws. That's not the job of the church. The job of the church is to work with the state for restorative justice, Mm -hmm. to restore, to help restore, to be an agent of God, ministry, which is interesting. 
like a lot of cabinet positions, we call them ministers, mm. which again comes from a biblical idea of servant. Mm. Um, and that's why they are, have that name because there's a, there's a godly role that, that God ordained the state to have. So again, we're just kind of talking big mm-hmm. picture here. Um, so the role of the church in the role of Christians, which is the church, is to seek the welfare of the cities or wherever they're at, which looks like loving their neighbor, yeah, loving their enemies, blessing those who curse them. What? Yeah, serving other people as though they are more deserving than themselves. That's what seeking the welfare of the city means. And, and I'm glad you framed it that way because I, I, I genuinely don't know if either candidate whether it's at the state level or the federal level, is going to be able to seek the welfare of Holly Springs, Georgia. No. But I can. Yes. And, and that's that's the that's what you're getting at with uh, people who over-identify with voting and under-identify with serving. Yes. Yes, that's very well said. So I can't I can't vote for somebody and hope he's going to love my neighbor. No, that's not his job. No. Or her job. No. Whoever it is that you're voting for. So voting and sitting back and doing nothing is just as bad as not voting at all. Exactly. Because you are assigning the you are assigning the role of the church to the role of the state. Mm -hmm. And again, what we believe as Orthodox, and this is what church fathers have believed for centuries, which is interesting whether it was Paul, whether it was the early church fathers, you always hear them talking about praying for their leaders. That's what Romans 13 says, pray for your leaders. You know, um, well, we, we really like that commandment when it's our leaders in charge. We don't like it when it's the other ones. Um, and and my point is to say like, we have a role to play. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So it's our job to pray for people. It's our job to serve people. It's our job to to seek the welfare of the of our cities, and so and, and it's it's challenging and convicting to do that. Yeah, yeah, you know, to to actually sit down and in your prayer time say, okay, I'm going to pray for the president of the United States because he's the president. Yeah, not because of what he does, not because of what he believes. I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for him for wisdom. I'm gonna pray for him for strength. I'm gonna pray for him to have a change of heart in mm-hmm. certain areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, that's good and right. And but but really what we're getting at here is Christians should engage in politics or civil matters mm-hmm. way more on the local level. Yes. You know, that's what we're really trying to say is which is why we as a church have worked with our civic governments mm-hmm. in Canton, in Jasper, in Cherokee County, Pickens County. We have asked our leaders Hey, what do you need and how can we help? You know, what are the needs of our city? Yeah. How can we be a blessing to these people? Because we not only want to build a great church, we want to build a great city. And it's not based on what that person believes. No, no. We work with all different kinds of elected officials, you know, mayors that, that don't uh, vote like us, that don't believe like us, biblically speaking, um, which again, I, I think that's important to send a message of, but I don't have to agree with somebody on, you know, let's just say, um, what marriage is in order to help serve the homeless that's or right. the poor, you know, so we can find areas where we can seek the welfare together mm-hmm. in ways, which 
ironically, will give me an opportunity to influence them based upon what we believe. You know, and I think that's the part that is lost right. in a lot of our discourse today because, and partly because of news and social media, you know, and again, I'm not outright blaming those things, but what I'm saying is they become immense time wasters where we're so, like we know what's going on in every race across the country, um, but yet we don't know what's going on with our neighbor down the street. Mm. Um, well, how is that seeking the welfare? Right. Um, if I want a better nation, it's going to be made up, particularly in our nation, because of better states. If I want better states, it's because we're going to have better communities. If I want better communities, it's because we're going to have better families. If I want better families, I better deal with the people in those families. Mm-hmm. You know, so again, it's not rocket science in that sense. So I, I think first and foremost, the the lens through which we need to view politics is not so much just about what party or person we're voting for, but what particular situation or person can I help? You know, how can I move outside of the faith community into my real community? And I don't say real as in like faith is, is fake, but into my natural community, the, you know, and, and seek the welfare, Mm -hmm. you know, seek their welfare. How can we serve? That answers one of the questions. How do you stay out of the fray but do your civic duty? Uh, That's the first place. Seek, seek the welfare. Yes. You can easily stay out of the arguments by just going and seeking the welfare of the city to which you're sent. Exactly. And, and, th- and that's my problem a lot of times with Christians is our first, our first action is simply a reaction to something that's happened. Hmm. Um, that's good. Well, if we're always just reacting to what's happening, then we're not living lives very purposefully. Mm-hmm. We're not acting. We're right. not sir. We're not seeking something. We're just reacting to everything and reacting. You lose influence when you act, you gain influence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we were talking about this earlier. Andy Stanley wrote a new book and I haven't read it, but from what I've heard of it, it's good. Not in it to win it, but I did hear something he said, about it, which was really good. You know, the phrase actions speak louder than words will mm-hmm. reactions speak louder than actions. And so, yeah, right now all the world hears is our reactions to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't see our actions, you know, they don't see, you know, um, I mean, just, just take like the hurricane that just happened in Florida. Overwhelmingly, the disaster relief is done by believers Yeah, in those kind of situations. Mm-hmm. I mean, the church is there serving and ministering and, and organizations like sin relief and other things are there. Samaritan's purse are there doing that's what we're talking about. Yes. But that should just be our normal rhythm. Um, and so we, we as a church have taken that stance and that's the stance that I want people, not only a part of revolution, but definitely a part of revolution to let that be the guiding principle to which they engage politically is seeking the welfare Mm -hmm. of others. Yeah. And and that book that Andy Stanley wrote, I mean, the premise is, is it possible to disagree politically and love unconditionally? Yeah. Great question. And, and and in that you, you have, you have to take the politics out of play and put the person into play. Yeah. So I I mean, is is that a person? Yeah. Well, to your, the answer to that question is yes, because Jesus did it. Yeah. I mean, his 12 disciples were made up of 
different political persuasions. He had Simon the Zealot who wanted to destroy Rome. Mm-hmm. You know, he had Matthew who was a tax collector for Rome. You know, he had Peter and, and uh, James and John who were fishermen who were kind of like salt of the earth dudes that were like, yeah, we don't like Rome, but we're not, you know, <laughs> we, we don't like that. And we're not going to collect taxes for Rome, but we're not also trying to overthrow this sucker too. We're just trying to catch mm-hmm. fish, man. You know, um, I mean, you had all those dudes that were right. his tribe and yet they were able to sit around campfires and have conversations because Jesus was inviting them into a greater mission, um, a greater kingdom, a kingdom beyond this world. So yes, we should be able to love unconditionally, even though we disagree politically. So as we put this into practice, mm-hmm. as you may have already done early voting, maybe you're doing early voting this week. Uh, maybe you're going to the polls on election day. How does that play out? How does everything that we've laid down so far, how does mm-hmm. that, how does that play out when we walk into the booth and we pull the curtain? Is there still a curtain? I don't even know if there's still a curtain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sometimes when, when you pull the curtain and you're looking at two names mm-hmm. and you're like, uh, I don't know about either one of these. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, you know, in thinking about this question, it's like people listening, like, man, that's great. Yeah, we want to seek the welfare. Who do I vote for? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and, and that's that, all great, but tell me about this. And that's a reality in this state this time. Well, I would say it's a reality all the time. Yeah. But definitely, as our world has become um, more polarized, yes. You know, for sure, mm-hmm. it has become like you were describing, you were a White House correspondent. In the transition mm-hmm. between George uh, W. and or yeah, Clinton, Clinton and, and, and uh, W. Yeah, yeah, you were there. The hanging Chad. I, I was there the, the night of the election, uh, and and this was it was interesting because I was there the the end of Clinton and the beginning of Bush. Yeah. So ninety nine two thousand. I'm there on election night, and not that there weren't political sides. Yeah, there there were. And there were political sides within the pool of reporters of that I would sit with yeah. all the time, but it wasn't uncivil. Yeah. And, and that was, that was kind of neat about it. Yeah. And when the president was at the white house, when he was on the grounds, there was even a higher grade of civility, yeah. no, no matter who it was. Yeah. That night, everything changed mm. that night. And I, like I worked for a woman, uh, she is, uh, as far left as you could possibly go. Mm. And uh, she was actually the only liberal correspondent on the Fox News channel. Mm. And they would have her on almost, almost to make fun of her, but she was a sweet soul and, and just wonderful to work for, but she was way out there. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, but she covered her, she did her job fairly. Yeah. Until that night. Until that night. And she is running around. This is a constitutional crisis. And it, it went from it went from constitutional crisis to George Bush is the devil. Hmm. That that's how far it went, and that's how fast it went. Well, and of course, here we are, twenty years later, and yeah. it's even worse. It's even worse. Yeah, because now it's not just George Bush is the devil, but whoever votes for that person are also devils. Yes. Yes. Um. So again, I get the angst of that, mm-hmm. and I, the, the, I think the best way to think about this, and we had this conversation too, like we're, you know, as a church, not only is there laws prohibiting us from political mm-hmm. engagement, which I think is helpful, is good, um, but I just think wisdom says that, 
Like we're not going to endorse candidates. Right. We are not going to um, engage at that level. Uh, and there are some churches that do. Um, just our our philosophy and our our where we stand on it. We're not going to do that. And so I'm not going to come on here and tell people to vote for a party. I'm not going to come on here and tell people to vote for a certain person. I don't think. Thank that, you. I don't think that is wise. And, and as a, as a as a steward of this church. That's the kind of church I want to be at. I want to be at a church that focuses on Jesus. Exactly. And, and that kind of is the setup of like, because the party and the people change. And to your point, like 2000 years ago, oh, 2000 years ago, <laughs> I'm old, but <laughs> when you were doing, when you were doing the white house correspondence 2000 years ago, when I was in Rome, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, they, when, those were tough times <laughs> when C, when it went from Julius Caesar to Augustus <laughs> or whoever it went to, <laughs> that's funny. A little bit of levity. You think this administration is bad. You should have been under Herod. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. That is true though. Yeah. I mean, come on now. You know, uh, Americans can be very short-sighted historically uh, sometimes. And Herod was always on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm just throwing that in there. <laughs> he went to his palaces that he was he, building. He had, a, he had a lot of he palaces. He did have a lot of palaces. We've been there. Yeah, we have. Um, but where I was going with that is like 20 years ago instead of 2,000 years ago, you know, uh, Democrats and Republicans – they dis definitely disagreed on the role of government mm -hmm. and those kind of things, but there was a lot of things they agreed on, though, mm -hmm. you know, that now has changed. Yes. You know, like, I don't know if there's really, a, well, I would probably say behind closed doors, there's probably a lot more that they agree on than, than what they let on to TV and the news. But one of the, one of the things is, yeah, if, if, if I can villainize the other person and I can scare you of them, mm -hmm. then I can, I can control you. I can get your vote. So where I'm going with that is I would rather not lead a church by telling people vote for this party or this person, but rather to say, look at the policies and, and how does the Bible inform those policies? How does the Bible inform your view of those policies? And then start there and vote for, the best candidate that exemplifies the biblical view of those policies. Um, now, no one's going to do that perfectly, um, obviously, because categorically um, there's going to be, uh, again, some issues where uh, maybe they're not moral, but for example, like I talked about the role of the church, restorative justice. I feel my conviction is that's not the job of the government. So therefore, I want a more limited government. Everybody wants limited government. Mm -hmm. um, it's just how limited. No one wants a unilateral, <laughs> all-powerful government. You know, uh, that's when you get you know other countries in the world that just oppress people. Uh, no one wants someone to have absolute power. Absolutely, you know. So we can disagree about the the how much it's limited by. And so again, let's just say that one. Well, that may, may not be necessarily a moral issue mm. of if the government provides welfare or the church provides welfare. You know, you can have a conviction of that, but you might then look at fiscal policy, you know, uh, as, as far as spending, balanced budgets, you know, those kinds of things. I mean, we haven't had 
in this country haven't had a balanced budget and I don't know when the yeah. last time. Yeah. So again, but you should have a biblical position on those things. And, and those things, you may not think they are moral or not. You know what I mean? They may just be, uh, and what I mean by that is good, godly Christian people can disagree about the role of government. Uh, like, hey, I have a biblical conviction that the government should do this. Okay, I have a biblical conviction that the government shouldn't. And so therefore, ha- start with a biblical conviction and look for the person that exemplifies those. Then you get into more moral arguments. You know, uh, like obviously the one that is so prevalent right now is abortion. Uh, and we've done a whole episode on that. So I don't think it's a shock to anybody, at least I hope it's not, <laughs> that we are uh, unashamedly pro-life. Um, we believe, biblically speaking, that life begins at conception. Um, that That is just how the the... Bible designed it, or that's how God designed it. Sorry. Mm-hmm. That's how the Bible articulates it. Uh, and again, the, I mean, the, the, the example is, well, when did Jesus become Jesus? You know, right. when did the word become flesh? Well, he didn't become flesh at some other time. He became flesh at conception. Yeah. Um, and that's how the Bible describes it. And so therefore for believers, and again, where we land at this church is we would tell people you need to vote for, um, again, thinking a biblical grid, looking at an issue like abortion. And so therefore vote for a person that lines up with that biblical view the most. Um, so again, me personally, I would only vote for a pro-life candidate. Right. Um, because that is a moral issue that is not decided. See, that's what's interesting, again, about the role of the state. The state makes laws, and, and I already said that's the role of the state. But the state, and the, our founding fathers knew this, but the state only works if the, if the state is enforcing laws on a moral people. You, you can't have laws with, with people who don't agree that those laws are moral or immoral. Mm-hmm. They only work, the Constitution only worked because of the underpinning of the morality that came out of the Bible. Right. And we've talked about that, where the most quoted book in a 10-year period uh, in the founding of our country in the 1700s was the book of Deuteronomy. Crazy. Yeah. So the founding fathers used the book of Deuteronomy to build this nation, um, to build the moral fabric of this nation. I mean, it's in our documents, mm-hmm. you know endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. So my point with that is I, I think Christians engaging in politics, again, from a seek the welfare perspective, should vote for people that align with the biblical truths um, or how the Bible informs policies. So um, it's important, I think, to vote as biblical as you can on policies um, without getting caught in the entrapment of parties and people. If that makes sense. It it absolutely does. So that that's a, that's a big foundation of how to go out there and approach politics. Uh, But I do want to get into something very specific because it has been in the news for the past year. Yeah. Um, 
every time you pick up something on social media, especially after a Sunday, yeah. it, it's very prevalent, uh, especially in the election season, as churches are inviting candidates to speak at the church, uh, be an honored guest at a church, mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. that we would not do. Uh, and it brings up the phrase Christian nationalism, yeah. which has been co-opted. It has. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny. It's one of those words where if I say it, depending upon what group I'm around, they're going to define it differently. Yes. Um, And so there are some people that say that, you know, Christians should, or believers should reject Christian nationalism. And then there's others that say we embrace it. Um, What's like, well, what do you mean by it? Yeah. You know, if by Christian nationalism you mean that um, one race of people is better than the other, that uh, America was better when it was less diverse, or um, that we are trying to uh, enforce, like if you're equating America somehow with Israel, mm-hmm. you know, again, that's the over-realized eschatology thing. Like um, that America is the privileged nation, you know, then I think Christian nationalism, there's elements that we should reject, mm-hmm. you know, because um, I, I do think that there are people that use that term and they almost associate Christian nationalism with white nationalists, mm-hmm. you know, and, and those two get, you know, they cross over yep. a lot. Well, if there's any white nationalist tendencies within Christian nationalism, then that should be rejected. Full stop. Wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. However, at the same time, um, I do think that a lot of Christians have just rejected it because of things like that, and they don't fully understand what they're rejecting. And what I mean by that is, as Christians, we should want people in this nation to be Christians. In fact, we should want people in every nation to be Christian. That's our goal. That's our mandate. I mean, Jesus told us, you know, the Great Commission, go make disciples of all nations. So God, God's goal is to have his family be made up of Christians of all nations. So we want nations, we want people in every nation to be Christian. So I want America to be a nation full of Christians. Yes. Um, and that's not a bad goal. No. Um, now, if I'm just saying I want America to be a Christian nation, and by that I mean certain rules and principles, but I don't really care about the nation being full of Christians, then I think we're on a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Because I think I do think there's a lot of well-meaning Christians that have, again, kind of misunderstood a little bit about the thrust of Christian nationalism. Our goal isn't necessarily to make a Christian nation. Our goal is to make a nation full of Christians. Yes. And then those Christians are going to be seeking the welfare of the city. They're going to be involved in politics. They're going to be leaders of businesses and companies and, and, and municipalities and governments. And therefore they're going to, they're going to bring about a Christian morality into the nation. Mm. That is good and right. Like we should want that. And so again, I think a lot of people don't understand. They just reject Christian nationalism altogether and they forget like, well, 
if it's not Christian, if we're not making people, if we're not converting people to Christ, and then those people are having profound effects in their cities, and then enacting laws that make it a better, prosperous nation for everybody, then what what is the guiding thing that's going to lead this? <laughs> right. Like, if it's not a Christian nation, what's it going to be? Yep. Like, the alternative to Christian nationalism is not good. And that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. That's why I think a lot of well-meaning Christians have rejected Christian nationalism uh, because it's been framed as a white nationalist thing or a far right thing. And, and I'm saying, yes, we should reject that, but we shouldn't reject the impulse to, or the mandate to lead people to Christ. And then those Christians create better families that create better cities, that create better States and create a better country. And then enact laws um, that are informed by Christian virtues and values. I mean, Christianity has had a profound effect. Again, I think the best way to think about this is first century. When Jesus sent out his apostles and his disciples, he said, go into all the nations and make disciples. He didn't say, go make Rome Christian. Mm. Um, he said, go make Christians in Rome. Yes. But ironically, they went made Christians in Rome, and within 300 years, Rome became Christian because they had such a profound effect. Mm-hmm. They were caring for the poor. They were caring for the outcasts. They were caring for disease yes. in pandemics at great cost to their lives. They were living life on mission. They were seeking the welfare to the point to where the Roman authorities couldn't deny the role that Christians had in making Rome a better nation. Mm-hmm. And so then they eventually won over the, the places of prominence and, and power in Rome because of their love and service. And that's what I'm getting at. No, that's excellent. Uh, and I hope that gives y'all a, a great frame. It's given me a better framework yeah. uh, of how to deal politically in, in, in this world. Uh, and in Andy Stanley's book, he, he says, look, Jesus never asked his followers to agree on everything. No. He gave them a new commandment to obey, mm-hmm. and that was to love their neighbors. Yeah, to agree on everything politically. Yeah, he. I guess what I'm saying to yes. that, I want to I want to clarify what mm-hmm. you're saying and not saying. Right. He did say truth. Yes, he like, agree, yeah, agree, on, yeah. agree on truth. Yeah, what this yeah. is. But yes, he is saying, but I'm going to naturally pull people from different backgrounds mm-hmm. that are going to have experiences that led them to believe differently about food sacrifice to idols, about, mm-hmm. you know, circumcision. We talked right. about that. I mean, mm-hmm. a host of issues that we would consider, uh, you know, to us, we would look at, that's not a big deal, but to them it was, yeah. you know? So yes, the, the thing that binds us is Jesus and what the word says is truth. So mm-hmm. we do, we are called to agree on that and then take that truth out and, and again, convert people to Christ but our hope in converting people to Christ is that we do create godly families that then create godly institutions. I mean, you can't, and this is the part where I don't like people always, again, people will confuse like Christianity with colonialism. Mm-hmm. And that's what they think of as Christian nationalism um, to where uh, definitely, I think there are aspects of colonialism that we should reject, mm-hmm. you know, the forceful, overtaking and, and those kinds of things. But I think it's so short-sighted to just look at church history and think it's all negative or bad. When churches 
are the ones that started hospitals. How many hospitals are named after Baptists or Catholics? Churches are the ones that engaged politically. Churches are the ones that created communities that became blessings. Christians are the ones that abolished slavery. Mm-hmm. You know, now granted, yes, there were Christians that were unfortunately involved in the practice, which ironically came from a erroneous biblical understanding. Mm-hmm. But it was also it was also people being Christian like William Wilberforce and other Martin Luther King, like the civil rights movement of the sixties was grounded in the ideals of the Bible that God created us equal. Um, and, and I think in our civil rights conversations today, we've just completely mm-hmm. subtracted yeah. God in the gospel. And I think our, I think our civil rights conversations are worse because of it, mm-hmm. because we no longer have no. a, a core of what we're trying to Right. accomplish right and a, and a flag with a person's name on it is not going to accomplish what the bible wants us to do no no yeah we were talking about that earlier yeah yeah i don't think christians uh should be flying flags of obscenities with the president's name on it no no uh again i just i'd be hard pressed to think that someone's really following christ that they're flying that flag it, it's really tough to witness to somebody after that yeah yeah, and I've talked about this before. Even as Southerners, if we're flying a rebel flag outside of our house, well, we just lost the ability to love our neighbor who who might uh, be African American. Mm-hmm. Yep. In the same way, like we've talked about this, you know, your your history and ethnic ethnicity is Jewish. Yeah. Well, if somebody was flying a swastika flag outside of their house, yeah, they would lose the ability to influence you. Yep. Because you already. And again, that goes back to that first ditch. I do think there's a lot of Christians that have over-identified with a political party or a political person Mm -hmm. as opposed to identifying with Christ. Hmm. Christ is our main identity. And so I shouldn't have any identity. It's not God and country. It's God then country. Um, Country is subservient to God. Right. Um, But it's not wrong to love your country. It's no. not, it's, it's not wrong. Uh, again, it's not wrong for a nation to enforce laws or boundaries or borders. Like, you know, we, we do a lot in Kenya. Well, Kenya, you know, has a real problem with Somalia and the terrorist activity that goes on there. And there was a horrific thing that happened years ago where they came and bombed a university in Kenya. Mm-hmm. So it's not wrong for Kenya to protect its borders and to be a sovereign nation and even let Christianity influence how they, that is, again, we shouldn't reject that. If that's what you think Christian nationalism is, we shouldn't reject that. But we should reject the idea that God loves one nation more than another, Mm -hmm. and that um, nations aren't free to establish their own laws. But we just want to make Christians of those nations so that every nation on earth has it, is full of Christians that are making that nation a better place. Amen. Amen. I hope you think that this was uh, maybe the healthiest conversation on politics that you've yeah, ever heard. So. Hopefully um, so. For a transcript of the show, uh, just write down everything we say. Uh, we want to encourage you to make the local church part of your life. Yes. Make, make it part of the center of your life. Uh, and that means participating in the life of the local church. Because it is the center of the life of God on the earth. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, we're going to talk more about that in a future podcast, making the local church center of your life. A lot of people go into the making of this podcast. Our producer is Chandler Elder. Uh, our head of doctrine and theology is theologian. Uh, our chief evangelist is salvation. I'm going to add a couple each time. Oh, you so, are. Yeah, okay, I, I was am. wondering where you were going. I am. Yeah. Uh, our backsliding prevention officer, of course, is lukewarm. Uh, our you have to you're not. It was funny last time. It's not funny this time. Oh, I'm waiting for the new ones. Oh, yeah, okay. Sorry. So I'm, okay. Thi- I'm thinking. Okay, because you, you can laugh at these. Our, okay, our okay. translator is... <laughs> le- <laughs> well, it may be that, that people are hearing it for the first time. That's true. So, that is so true. the laughter helps. Our, our, our translator is Lexicon. Uh, <laughs> see, 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 now, now that's... Uh, that's amazing. See, that's that's going too far. Is that too much? Okay. Yeah, because that's... I went it, over into it, a ditch. You went over into the sarcastic <laughs> ditch. So that... I'm I'm just not going to work. I'm not going to work as hard to do these. Um, our lineage specialist is genealogy. Mm, our, like di- our director of Swedish witnessing is Bjorn again. <laughs> See, that's what you're waiting for. That's pretty funny, Chandler. Is that is that one funny? Yeah, that, yeah. No, okay. I, I enjoyed that. That and was our, good. And our overseer of Godfather ordinances, Fredo baptism. <laughs> so there you go. Best advice you ever heard, as opposed to paid baptisms. Yes. <laughs> See, just let my just let my responses come. <laughs> yeah. All right. Trust God and take a nap. Trust God, take a nap. See ya. All right.